0: Hello and welcome to season five of Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to let you know how grateful we are to you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We believe that season five will be our best yet. We have a great lineup of speakers for you to enjoy. So we ask that you share this on your social media, with your friends and family, and of course give us a like and leave a review. Thank you, we hope you guys enjoy the season. Today on the podcast, we have Commissioner Israel Gaither, the former national commander for the Salvation Army and United States of America.
1: This fifth season of Captain's Corner is sponsored by PFS Financial. That's PFS. FS Financial. And they use biblical principles to guide you in growing and stewarding your wealth. But more importantly, PFS will guide you in fulfilling your search for significance and help you establish a legacy that will embody your passions. For more information, visit PFSFinancialFirm.com. And our thanks to the CEO of PFS, JD Palekia, who serves on the Tampa Area Command Advisory Board. And he's the chair of our finance committee and is a wonderful, godly man. You can hear an interview that we had with him. On the fourth season of Captain's Corner. We're thankful for his team and the way they're coming alongside of us to bring you today Captain's Corner. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Captain Andy Miller coming to you again from Tampa, Florida, where we are privileged and honored to have on the call with us today Commissioner Israel Gaither, the former National Commander of the Salvation Army. Commissioner Gaither, welcome to Captain's Corner. Thank you very
2: much, and thank you, Andy, for allowing me to come to the corner with you. This is a wonderful privilege, and I really, really mean it. I'm, I'm so happy to be sharing in this conversation with you today.
1: Well, it's just great to hear your voice, and many people who have been involved with the Salvation Army through the years, even at kind of our community board, our board leaders probably might even recognize your voice from your leadership of the National Salvation Army, but certainly people in the Salvation Army will hear your voice, and and that will bring back positive, wonderful memories of the way God used you, uh, particularly on kind of a very public presentation level, one of the great speakers in the salvation army's history and i don't mean to just say historical i mean even now we're just so thankful for the way god has used you but as we get going here i'd just love to hear what's happening with you now how's retirement um how are you and commissioner eva responding to covid19 and those type of things
2: well first l- let me just respond to oh, your sure. earlier andy and and just say again that um how much of a privilege it is and has been to serve and continue to serve as a Salvation Army officer. Yes. You know, it's all about grace. Mm. I thank God for his goodness and uh, his gracious care, compassion, redemption, blessing on my life and on Eva's and her family.
3: Mm.
2: It's about grace. And this is, you know, this isn't about Israel Gaither. Yes. Uh, I've just uh, been privileged to be just simply a a server, somebody out of no place who was called into an extraordinary, and I mean it, extraordinary, uh, kingdom venture called the Salvation Army. Mm. A wonderful privilege. and So it's brought us through the years. We've been retired now for
1: uh, 50-some years, and uh, um, here we are in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wait, wait. You said you've been retired. You've been an officer for fifty years. You've been retired f- for not fifty years, maybe. Well, we,
2: yeah. Let, let me uh, let me just say that we retired having served oh, just over 40, forty-seven years.
1: Amazing.
2: As officer. yeah, and uh, we retired in two thousand and ten. I got you. I understand. So you. it's it's been a long um, it's been a long journey, but a but a very. A very blessed one and and uh, we, we pray of uh, some value to you know to the kingdom and to the mission of the Salvation Army mm-hmm. so here we are in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania now uh, having lived here in our retirement home um, that we purchased ten years ago yes <clears throat> and um, it's just wonderful uh, Pittsburgh is a is just a wonderful community uh, kind of the uh, the Front door to the Midwest, and right. so we live in a community where there are just some beautiful people, and and it's not a it's not a huge metropolitan area, but it's a large one.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, in you know, like any county, some three hundred to four hundred thousand people, and so we've got the arts, and we have sports, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's really a, it's a diverse community,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and we love it. And we served in this community. We began our officers service as individual officers, single officers, even I, in um, Pittsburgh, and mm-hmm. and now we end up back here. We were married here as well. First child born here. Wow. And my home actually is, from, is Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's 50 miles north of Pittsburgh, and uh, we've served um, here at Divisional Headquarters and Corps Officers. And we were the divisional leaders at uh, at one time as well. So wow. we've come back very real sense, we've come back home. Yes. And it's the right time. And um, we're doing well as well through this uh, COVID-19 experience. Um, I like to say that we're cautious, we're content, and we're living under grace. Amen. <laughs> um, you know, we try to deliberately protect ourselves. Okay. <clears throat> and... We we take all the necessary precautions, but but one of the things Andy that um, we try to do is to protect our minds. Okay. Um, you know, from the numbing negative right. press you know, that we're seeing. You you, you put the, the news on the very first headline story is how many people have died. Right. Right. It, and That deeply deeply concerns us. It breaks our heart. But we're not afraid right at all amen um and we're we're also uh not held held captive to thinking about all of the death all of the the negative stuff mm-hmm. um, and i you know i I also believe that God is speaking to his world mm-hmm. and uh, i I want to come out of this uh as a better husband and father mm. Mm-hmm. And a follower of Jesus. Amen. To to this, uh, better than, than when this whole thing started several months ago. Um, yeah, so we're, we're,
1: we're doing all right. Okay. We're,
2: we're really feeling good about it.
1: It is an opportunity, isn't it, to to take what the, what's coming our way. Of course, we feel for those who have lost loved ones, pray for them. But this is an opportunity for a renewed focus.
2: Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. So- and, and I'm telling you, not uh, you know, first of all, it's for me as an individual. Yeah, right, as right. I said, <clears throat> but I also believe that God is speaking a larger, mm. there's a clarion call to the church at large, yes. to believers around the world, and to the Salvation Army. I mm. believe that God is speaking. Um, and, you know, in my reflections and thinking during these times when I've had alone in my study and... And in prayer, and looking at the Word, and, and reading, I really want to understand what something of what God is speaking and doing in His world mm. through all of this. Um, wh- what does it call from me as a as a husband and father and a server? Um, so I'm I'm learning and, and uh, doing, uh, you know, and keeping busy, but in the but in the forefront of my thinking is um what, what is god asking what is he saying hmm. to his world and i really believe that um it's a call uh, it's a call it's to it's, it's come back to him that he
4: loves hmm.
2: his Amen. creation you know he, he's and we've had these kinds of discussions with with people in the community um my next door neighbor right standing 30 feet away you know <laughs> in his yard yeah the, And I, in mind, you know, um, he's a casual, I don't mean to be judgmental, but he's a casual believer. Right. Um, And we've talked about what what does this mean? What is God doing? And so we've had a chance to share what, you know, what we believe, what we're feeling, what we're learning. And yeah, I I believe this is an opportunity for people to to wake up, to uh, understand again that That this is my father's world amen he has not abandoned it he loves us and carry us through this and he's there's there's a call back to loving him Hmm. to relationship with him and so we have that that privilege you know in um on occasion seeing people um to speak into their lives to Mm -hmm. bring you know a sense a word of hope and a sense of of hope into what's going on here
1: yeah I, you had something interesting that you mentioned just as before we started recording that you and Commissioner Eva have developed a, um, a mission statement for retirement. Even and and even now, ten years in, that's meant some changes. And I think people will be disappointed to hear some of those changes. But I think it's important for you to I love to hear how you express it so like describe that mission statement and how it's guided you I know that that's taken you you've been on the board of Asbury University done some other public public speaking speaking in the army but but that's been shaped by the kind of foundation of this retirement mission statement is that right
2: yeah it 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 is um it it goes back it was about six or seven months prior to retirement Mm -hmm. and um I you know, I was beginning to get nervous. Hmm. Uh, what would I do? And I was kind of asking the question uh, to, of God, you know, is there anything, is there any way you can use me? You hmm. know, what, what am I going to do? I, I just could not see myself kind of sitting around doing nothing, and, hmm. I, and I was really nervous about that. So even I, you know, we would talk about it and spend time in prayer about it. And um, then all of a sudden about, it uh, was far less than a year, Seven or eight months out, I started getting some feelers. People were in contact with me about, you know, engaging in certain ways with them. I started getting some counsel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sometimes uninvited, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to uh, to 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 consider certain things. And so one one early one morning before going into the office, <clears throat> I was um, I was doing some. Uh, preparation at home, and and the Lord spoke to me very strongly. I'd been, again, saturating ourselves in prayer about what we'd be doing. Now, this is about five or six months out from the date. Okay. Of the and uh, the Lord spoke to me and um, began to speak, and I moved aside what I was doing on a project and just started typing. Hmm. And what became of that was a page and a half uh, kind of vision statement for retirement. Hmm. And uh, my wife, uh, when she got up a short time later, I said, hey, look, can, can we just, can we do look at this together before we go to the office? Huh. <laughs> the Lord has spoken to me about our retirement. Hmm. But sure. So we took uh, quite a bit of time, actually, and and went through it paragraph by paragraph, and it basically focuses on uh, my commitment to continued development as a person, as a man, as a server, as a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. as a husband, right, as, as a father, um, it, it talks about um, what we might engage, how we saw engaging in ministry, mm-hmm. what op- kinds of opportunities that we would both be together in, what I might do separately. And uh, we also committed then to, um, after it was finally shaped over a period of a couple of weeks, that every year we would look at it again
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, kind of tweak it. Right. So, for example, I'd had some offers to serve on several boards, um, and we determined and set it in as a foundational piece in the mission statement, the vision statement, that I would only serve on one board. Okay. So at that time, it became Asbury. Uh, I was invited to partner with a um, national uh, faith-based um, uh, effort that 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 focused on pornography. Right. Uh, it was a strong. It is a strong uh, evangelical movement in America, and so I was invited to serve with that uh, body and uh, be its. Be among its spokespersons, and I did that, and that required a bit of travel. Hmm. So, things like that, in specialing and speaking, and we determined, for example, that we would not take any overseas engagements. Hmm. We had several who were on the docket that, that came to us, and we said, ah, "We've had enough of global travel. Uh, we think it's time to concentrate on home." So, so that became part of it. Hmm. And every year, we would look at that um, and uh, refine it <clears throat> as the Lord would lead. Uh, within the last two years, uh, my wife said to me, look, I think that maybe we ought to consider when you become uh, age 75 okay. that we really ought to just really, really trim back. And um, so we did that. It became 75 last year.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, we have we have uh, ceased our uh, specialing, except if it's very, very, very uh, critical, um and we can fit it into the demands of home. Hmm. Um, so we've had to turn down a number of things even within the last six months. Hmm. Uh, and it, that's hard to do. We've, it's hard to decline. But we felt we had to do that and stick to you know, the vision that God has given to us. So we also were engaged in pastoral care ministry in this region on behalf of the Territory. We're part of the territorial team. Okay. And that was absolutely wonderful. We just... Uh, we just relished and cherished that opportunity of engaging on a one-on-one basis with, with officers, and so we've done that for about nine years, and um, so we've released ourselves from that as well, and now uh, just concentrating on a, a few things related to ministry,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, as we, as we can handle them, and uh, our home life, and uh, kind of growing together and enjoying this this phase in our lives. So mm-hmm. the Lord has Lord has led through every sphere, every, every phase of our life. And uh, we are here now at this uh, phase and really contented and assured and confident that this is where God wants us to be in terms of relationship to activity.
1: Right. And in your son, Mark, he's close by. Is that right?
2: Yeah, Mark and his family are, are just about five minutes away. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we see the grandkids. Uh, I had to, to go out yesterday to run an errand and uh, saw our oldest grandchild um, on his bike with some friends. There you go. He saw wow. me, and, you know, and said, hey, Papa. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, we, every once in a while that kind of surprise uh, comes up. And, and uh, at a distance, uh, <clears throat> we get together about once a week, and they come over and, you know, stand in the driveway or we're out in the backyard. Twenty-five, thirty feet apart. Right. Spend some time with them, and and uh, our daughter Michelle and her family are in in Kentucky, in Lexington. And right. So we're in with them via Zoom and uh, FaceTime, and we've had some family nights via, by way of Zoom and playing yeah. games, and so we're in touch constantly uh, w- with our kids and and grandkids, and and uh, every every. Um, every Monday morning I send the grandkids a little text to encourage them through the day. And, uh, yeah, so that's good. Even though we're not physically with them. Right. Right. There's a certain pain there. Yeah, absolutely. But we're, we're in touch in other ways. And, we can see them and talk to them.
1: It's beautiful how this, at this point in your life, and you're, and I, I said kind of my, my, my question, like people will be disappointed because you're not doing as much public speaking anymore, but, but you've been all over the world. I mean, you, you've served in other countries, and you've spoken, and you and Commissioner Eva have served, you know, visited all over the world, and you've had this kind of wide geographical... Uh, ministry but at the same time now it's like close in and you're able to be close to your family i'd like to go back a little bit and we're going back of course to pennsylvania as you said in newcastle but i'd love to just hear how you became a follower of jesus
2: well i was raised in a in a a home of strong faith um my dad was a baptist preacher and uh Mm
3: -hmm.
2: was blessed a wonderful mother, and uh, there were five of us—four uh, siblings, all girls, all younger than me—and it was just a loving, uh, but very, very disciplined and very strong faith-oriented home.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, my dad played uh, um, a very strong influence on my calling. Hmm. He had a—he had a profound preaching ministry. He—he—he um, he, he was truly an anointed man um if he were living his birthday will be on monday he'd be 107. wow and uh boy I, I, I still miss him but he was uh respected and valued highly valued in the community so i am i just might say as an aside i really am an inheritor of a rich sacred lake that yes left us so the church i was raised in <clears throat> my dad was um was the co-pastor
3: mm-hmm.
2: and interestingly enough in newcastle Union Baptist Church. Over the years, the Salvation Army uh, built a new building and relocated, and and now it sits. The army building sits directly across the street wow. from the church. In, um, and I'm telling you, Andy, you cannot imagine the feeling that would come over me every time I would uh, uh, go to the as a divisional commander. Right. Go to the local there. And have a meeting there, or my wife and I, especially there on a Sunday morning, and walking out of the core building and looking across the street uh, at the church yes. in which I found Christ and uh, was raised in the faith. Uh, it's just a, an amazing a turn of events as only God you know, can orchestrate that.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well, let's get I, into that I, a little
2: bit. How, oh, go ahead. Do you want to add something else there? I was just going to say my my public confession of faith now again influenced um, at home you know that strong right faith in christ and um so so really knowing Jesus, but the public confession of faith came in the Union Baptist Church on a Sunday morning
3: hmm.
2: when the school superintendent uh, knelt beside me at the altar and and I made that public confession of faith hmm. um, Never forget. I remember the moment even as I'm, as I'm describing it. Yeah. So that that those were the earliest uh, days of my following Christ, uh, becoming a, a believer, and a lover of the Lord.
1: Well, I love. I've always I've heard you talk about your dad through the years, and I just love the admiration you have for him. And uh, like it's a goal for me. I, I I want my kids to speak of me that way. And I, I'm blessed to have a wonderful a wonderful father who I love and admire, um, and and grandfathers as well. Um, this it, it brings up a kind of a sense like, okay, that was that was your dad in that Union Baptist church and you admired him, but somehow Israel Gaither ended up in the Salvation Army, serving in the Salvation Army all over the world. So, I mean, you, your path took a, a very different direction maybe than you could have ever imagined when you had that profession of faith. Could you talk a little bit about how you felt Uh, god calling you to serve in the salvation army
2: well it's interesting um a family moved into our neighborhood
3: Mm -hmm.
2: uh i was about uh 15 14 years of age and a family moved in from another uh city in western pennsylvania and they were salvationists okay and it was uh, a family of about five or six and There were a couple of the guys my age, and I became friends with one of them. They lived about four or five doors from us. Okay. And he invited me to youth activities. Now, remember, I'm attending my dad's church, (laughs) very much in in my father's church under his ministry. But I started going, of all things, I began to go to the Salvation Army to attend Corps Cadets. Okay. That was the the bridge, uh, the door. And uh, so that led into other kinds of activities. And um, a year or so later that summer, I worked at uh, Camp Allegheny wow. on the staff. And uh, then uh, Captain Stanley Dittmer was the DYS, Amazing. the Youth Secretary. And, and he had a profound impact on my life, he and his, his wife at the time. And, um, and it was there at, camp, at that camp one summer as a staff person, now you know, I, I was a camper for a couple of years, then became a staff person. But on a Sunday morning when Captain Dittmer was, was uh, preaching, I just felt the Lord speaking to me about becoming an officer.
3: Hmm.
2: Now, <clears throat> unknown to me, uh, my father and the Corps officer at the time, Brigadier James Dial, okay. they had become very good friends through the ministerium in town. And they had often talked about me behind my back, about what God might do in my life hmm. and the direction my life might take. This was all going on behind my back for a long time. So that summer, that Sunday morning, when, when I felt that urge, uh, I left then. At the end of that summer, came home. And uh, continued to think about it and pray about it. Said nothing to my parents, mm-hmm. but I fought God. I said, you know, I'm not sure because I, I had some other. I wanted to be a teacher. Oh, okay. That was the, my desire, and um, so I prayed, Lord, you've got to, you've got really prove this to me. Is this what you want me to do? Right. And He did. Hmm. That uh, one morning that summer was prior to going and returning to school for the fall session. I received a letter from a friend, a good friend uh, who, with whom I had worked at camp, and on the back of the envelope, she had the you know the great commission from Matthew 28, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel," and it was in her handwriting, and that was it. I, wow. I knew that was that was God speaking, confirmation to me. From, from that verse, Matthew twenty eight nineteen, hmm. go and make disciples. Wow. And uh, I accepted that at that moment on my porch, uh, reading that, the back of that envelope before I even opened the, the card inside. That was what God wanted me. To do. So then I, I, I told my dad a little later, a couple of days later, you know, he and I had a time to have a little conversation privately. And I said, Dad, this is what I believe God's called me to do. And Andy, you know what he
1: said to me? What's that?
2: I already know. Oh, wow. I already know. Um, and you're only affirming it.
3: Hmm. And
2: uh, so I had the full support of my, my parents, my family, and then I had to transition my membership from uh, the Union Baptist Church to the Salvation Army mm-hmm. um, and then began... You know, attending the army um, full full time hmm. with with my complete support. Interestingly enough, my dad, uh, his appreciation and understanding of the Salvation Army grew deeper and deeper, and he really he really became. He loves the army so much. I remember him saying to me one time, "Son, if if I knew the Salvation Army when I was coming up, believing God's call in my life, who knows I might have become an officer." Yeah, um, but. He began to serve on, he was invited to serve on the advisory board of the Salvation Army. Okay. And eventually he became the chairman of the advisory board. Interesting. So it was a very uh, interesting way in which God uh, wove his will into my life and into my calling to serve him as an officer.
1: It's amazing, just that beautiful support that comes. Like it, there wasn't a sense because God was involved in your in your dad's own relationship with Christ at that point that you were diverting from you know your family. You weren't leaving your family and said you had the full support of them as you went okay. off. i so this was a fairly young age, and in those days, more people went in at a young. I mean, were, were, were you 18, 19 years old when you went to training?
2: Just just turned eighteen. Wow. No, <laughs> so, because um, I was on my way to. To college right um, was looking forward to that um, actually, I turned eighteen in training, Wow, uh, so it was really, and in those days as, as you say there were there it was more common than not to have younger, mm-hmm. younger I was the youngest male in my session and the second youngest in the session Wow uh, so yeah, that was very you know just very, very interesting and I'm not so sure that if I were making the decision myself, if I had <laughs> had that kind of faith, I would probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <You> right. <know? laughs> but it was a strong, very, very strong urging and all of the evidences around me affirmed that this is what I ought to
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, needed to do with my life. There was no choice actually. Right. Uh, it was what it was what God was asking me to do. And then the the confirmation and the support of my parents and there were a couple of, of my session mates who, because they uh, had a calling on their life to be officers and uh, chose to pursue that, were rejected by their families. Yes. One or two in our – so I, I never took for granted the support I had uh, from my folks. Wow.
1: So let's let fast forward a bit, you, and I'm sure there's some things we, we could learn from your time in training, but you end up um, getting appointed back to Western Pennsylvania um but it was in that period where you met commissioner Eva and could you talk to us just about um you know your your coming together and what challenge that represented as an interracial marriage for the army at that time
2: Yeah. Uh Eva and I were session mates. Oh, Okay. She she, she from Sydney, Ohio. Mm-hmm. A small town just north of Dayton. And um we were in the same session. We were friends, you mm-hmm. know, casual friends. But we were both commissioned um, to different appointments back here in Pittsburgh. Okay. <clears throat> um, and she assisting at the Corps on the uh, eastern end of the city, and I was uh, in the northern sector of the, of the city of Pittsburgh. Okay. And it just so happened that the Corps officers with whom we were Uh, assigned, were good friends. Okay. And they were often, wonderful people, and they would often get together, and so they would invite us to come along, you know, with them for their fellowship in each other's homes and um, different activities. And so we said, okay, yeah, well, you know, we'll do that. Well, then that drew us closer together, and out of that our friendship uh, deepened and uh, love blossomed. So wow. we, um, we then indicated uh, to our leaders that we were interested in, in what they called at the time
1: official engagement. <laughs> it's funny to hear yeah. those terms from those days. Yeah. You had to have permission then, see. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is an army.
2: <laughs> so <clears throat> that, became, that launched into a real significant issue for the Salvation Army.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, at the time there were no other uh, interracial officers in the Salvation Army in America mm-hmm. there was one interracial couple in the train college in Chicago uh, who were interested in each other um, and they were forbidden their relationship and they had been asked to leave they, oh, they, wow. their, their cadetship terminated now happily they moved some years later, after they married, they moved into the eastern section of the United States, into the eastern territory, and uh, remarried and and uh, regained their rank and were commissioned and mm. and they well. Wonderful. Uh, at this point, <clears throat> there really there really was no active Salvation Army officers who were pursuing an interracial relationship and who wanted to serve as an officer. So this was. Um, this was a challenge to the army. Mm-hmm. In our path was then Brigadier John Waldron. Yes, and uh, he he believed us, believed mm. in us. Yes, our divisional commander and um, followed us closely. Uh, was a wonderful. Uh, he was one of seven men in my life who influenced me deeply, profoundly. Mm. And so he took the chance and said, okay, um, we'll just see how this goes hmm. before we we give approval for your engagement. And a uh, short time later, um, it was approved. He hmm. could do that. So then the question of, okay, the marriage. So there, there was some testing that, that um, he wanted to see. He was having conversations with the territorial leadership and um, – so they moved Eva out of Pittsburgh. At the time now, then, I was in Aliquippa opening a corps. Okay. And uh, they moved her to Erie, Pennsylvania, in charge of what was then a Scandinavian corps. Okay. She went as a corps officer there. So so now we're, rather than 15 minutes away from each other, we are now an hour away. Interesting. Wow. And so he wanted to see if this would really last, if this meant something. Hmm. So um, after a year and a half or so, two years, um, obviously it did last. It it was for real. Yes. So Eva was moved back to Pittsburgh in charge of the same corps to which she had been previously appointed to assist Mm out of training. And by the way, an African-American dominated corps. Hmm. And I'm in Alaquippa, opening a corps um, in a cross-cultural setting with no blacks um, hmm. ministering to a white congregation. Hmm. Um, the Salvation Army struggled with this approving the marriage. Yeah, uh, I understand later from the official records, to which I then had uh, opportunity to see, that the request would not be undertaken by the territory. They passed it on to international headquarters. Wow. At international headquarters, they kicked it back, not wanting to make the decision, to the territory. Hmm. The territorial leadership kicked it back to the desk of John Waldron.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: And said to him, look, we're going to leave this to you. You know the couple, and we'll leave it to you. If you agree, um, that's fine with us, but there must be certain understandings. Hmm. And one of the things that John Waldron told us that he was told as he considered the case, was that we were to be told that there would probably come a day when there would be no more appointments
3: Hmm. for us. Hmm.
2: And that we would probably have to then resign our officership. Wow. Little did they know. (laughs) And it was um, daunting at that time. I'm sure. But we prayed it through and felt, no, this is what, God has called us both individually to be Salvation Army officers. Right. God has has called us into marriage. And so now we're going to stay the course. Hmm. And John Waldron, in essence, said, good, I'm on your side. I'm with you. Wow. Um, He then, along with my father, actually presided at our wedding. Okay. Pittsburgh. And um, uh, what a marvelous experience and event that was.
1: I didn't know about uh, John Waldron's influence on your life um, until I read Henry Garapie's biography of you. And oh, yeah. uh, and so that was really interesting to me because not somebody who, I don't know, he might have been promoted to glory by the time I was born, but of course his influence has stayed on with all of the volumes he's edited um, and all the things he's put together yeah. on Salvation Army thinking yeah. and theology. And so it's, a, it's interesting that th- this person who is really, his influence continues to this day through his writing, but also through you. Yeah. And um, I'm just so glad to hear his name brought up here and, and the courage that he took as a um, as a divisional leader in believing in you. I think that's one of the beautiful things that can happen in the Salvation Army is if we can drive things back to the local level as much as possible, I think generally we get a better answer.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're you know we're closer to where that issue lies, right? You know, to uh, their greatest impact is, and he, he was just he, he he was a man who was greatly valued among leadership and uh, in the day and, and officers in general. He was very well respected. He and Helen, his wife, hmm. um, they just. Um, you know, they just had this uh, this depth of understanding and wisdom and anointing. Um, he was a wonderful leader, and he was brave. He was courageous. He told us <clears throat> sometime after our our wedding, he said to us, Eva and Izzy, hmm. I want you to know that I took some abuse hmm. in supporting you. Wow. He had gotten some letters from a few leaders around the world hmm. that, uh, were disparaging and um, uh, really uh, were against the position he took in support of us. So he, he was—he was very courageous. And I might add that um, uh, then later he—he—he he, um, he dedicated our first child, and you know, forever uh, we are grateful for the strong influence and impact and and support. Standing by us, uh, you know, when when, when few others were willing to do so, we're we're actually reluctant, and perhaps I might even say afraid to do so, given given the era in which we that time.
1: And this would have been uh, the late '60s. Is that the idea about the time? Yeah,
2: yes, we were married in 1967. Okay, Um, one one month, interestingly enough, after the Virginia Loving case. Um, mm. Struck down, and uh, interracial marriage was Amazing. allowed in Virginia. It was one month, a- one month after that event. Um, so it, w- it was a it was a different time in America, and and we you know we even had to face some issues within the army. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now <clears throat> during that era, I might say, and I grew up on the edge of the civil rights era. I grew up in a in Newcastle at that time. When there was a colored YMCA mm. and a white YMCA, okay, the white YMCA had the indoor pools and the gymnasium. The colored YMCA was a kind of a large house with a pool table, and and outside was the uh, basketball court. We had to we had to uh, on many a winter day had to shovel the snow to play basketball on a decent day. Mm. <laughs> At the edge, you know, the edge of all of that, and um, so in that time. Um, you know, it was a difficult thing, but it was subtle. Hmm. Uh, there was a subtleness about the, the disapprovement and disengagement, of, and uh, how people felt. Um, but there were occasions, a few, when even I had to face it outrightly. Hmm. Uh, we we found out later, uh, again, when I was uh, in a position to look at my records very, very closely, our records. Right we found out that there was an appointment that we were refused Hmm. um, to be accepted into by the divisional commander precisely because of our interracial marriage status. Wow. And we'd often wondered why we were not appointed to that division because it was, uh, you know, it was cross-cultural, it was uh, a lot of African Americans, and Mm -hmm. uh, it was... uh, we often wondered about that. It was a metropolitan area. Yeah. And, um, now we know why. Interesting. And, and I dare say, had we known that as as a young married couple, yes. you and I probably would not be having this conversation. Interesting.
1: It would have been so hard on you to, to realize that that was what had happened. You might yeah. have even left. I mean, exactly. after, yeah.
2: We would have opted to do something else if we knew that we were in... Uh, this kind of organizational environment where such r- racial prejudice and bias and discrimination existed
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: so but we knew it was there right, right? and we' part of the you know we're part of the uh, of the group of black officers calling attention to right. it uh, from our leaders, but uh, we didn't know the personal impact of that degree in that instance mm-hmm. on personally.
1: One of the interesting things is with, with your ministry in general, like um, you've become a representative of, often of African officers of African descent in the United States, and um, you've been the first t- black officer to do many things. And that's a, I mean, that takes courage and it's a pioneering spirit on your part. As I was reading your biography, I was, I, I learned, I mean, I knew many of those first, but I didn't know about some of the commissions that you were a part of. I didn't know, I mean, you even formed a response while you were appointed in New York to James Cone's Black Liberation Theology. I mean, there was, you you had to, this is a regular theme that's been a part of your ministry. Um, I'd I'd love to hear just a general way how you've, I mean, we've already been there a a, a little bit, but just dealing with the question of race. And uh, and particularly, I'm interested even in your response to James Cone, too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Of course, that was a prominent thought in in, in the religious sector of uh, uh, Cone's Black Liberation Theology, and you know, and and I used to say, and, and still do, um, we don't lo- we don't leave who we are a- as individuals and step into an, an organization. In other words, I didn't leave my my black heritage right. when I. What I grew up with when I became a Salvation Army, it was still part of me. There are things that I, I still strongly, strongly believe, and 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 God has been so good in giving me a, a platform to share with others <clears throat> on this matter of race and how we handle that within the Salvation Army. In in some days back in that era, we were. I really believe we were organizationally reluctant receivers hmm. of of a new reality that was coming. Wow. America was going to change and, and and that there was some risk that the Salvation Army organizationally must take. Right. Or we would become we'd be left behind. We'd be a, a mere shadow today of what we were meant to be if we didn't take those risks and move on. Another thing that occurs to me just now is that it took a new generation of leaders who would be willing to take those risks mm. There were very very few John Waldrons mm. in that in the late sixties mm-hmm. uh, civil rights era very few of of men like him so internally <clears throat> internally um, years. Uh, went by a few years went by and and we be, we see more and more blacks coming into the salvation army as officers declaring themselves and coming in with this fervor and this desire to really serve the lord in their calling as officers but there grew a kind of a disquieting discomfort mm. uh, with within the ranks right. uh, of of the black officers there there was a concern with the the lack of not only just recognition of individuals and, and, and where we could serve. Right. uh, Because at that point, it was believed that black officers could only serve in certain communities. Right. Called it the Chitlin circuit.
1: Yes, yes, I've heard that.
2: When you become an officer, you know, you knew there was only going to be five or six places. That was what was intimated
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: our marriage, um, you know, was By John Yeah, discussed. You know, there are only a few places in this circuit: right. <clears throat> Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Philadelphia. You know, New York. Um, so we 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 felt it important to sit together, um, black officers, and talk about these things because there was this uneasiness. Right. We had this struggle going on in civil society beyond the Salvation Army. Right. It was impacting the Salvation Army, but nobody was talking about it. Wow. But it wasn't being made an impact. So we asked the administration uh, during one commissioning weekend um, if we could meet Mm -hmm. the black and have this discussion, to which the answer was no, Hmm. we cannot. So we were actually under the leadership of a prolific man, Brigadier B. Barton McIntyre, who who at the time... um, was the uh, corps officer for the Harlem Temple Corps
1: mm-hmm.
2: immensely respected man. He was actually a Canadian, okay of African heritage descent, okay uh, And uh, he and his wife were just wonderful, wonderful people. They were our leaders. So <clears throat> he became our spokesperson and 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 made the plea for reconsideration. So the administration at the time said, "All right, uh, they can meet." but they will not be sanctioned. Hmm. Uh, there would there would be no reimbursement for okay. any expense might be incurred. You're on your own. Hmm. So we had to find the place, arrange for a meal it was during a lunch uh, hour, and, and have our meeting. And out of that uh, uh, grew issues um, that, that we felt needed to be talked about further. hmm and discuss further now as a result of that first meeting and those issues we now see the various committees on the territorial level broadly widely accepted several committees in fact now representing several um uh, populations of, of people of color
3: mm-hmm.
2: um that are making a significant impact not just on programming and personnel but on policy mm. how how we move and have our being as an organization yes. in this territory. So yeah and, and um, so you know there, there are there are still challenges that face us, but we've come a long way from that from that period, but it, it took it took the strength and the courage of, of top level leaders in the army. It also took the determined courage uh, within uh, holding firm to our commitment to be. Salvation Army officers and be faithful to this movement, uh, it took us mm-hmm. and others like us uh, to, to be willing to engage and to listen and to hear hard, sometimes disappointing, and sometimes hurtful things. Right. Um, but here we are today, a better Salvation Army.
1: Yeah. I, um, how, how do you think we're doing as a Salvation Army? On this matter, I mean, obviously, there's mass massive improvements in the number of people who are serving, particularly as officers. But I think, like some of my colleagues um, who are African American, you know, have some still some concerns with how things are going with the Army, particularly as it relates to, to leadership and, and kind of like the recognition of having um, l- less than ideal <laughs> um, number yeah. of leaders in service. I, I imagine you get that question every now and then. Um, I mean, how, how do you help us how, how can you help us think through that
2: yeah it's it's a tough one it really is first of all we need to 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 recognize and understand that America's regionalized right right um, secondly that the eastern territory, the eastern sector of the country and uh, the Salvation Army administration we had a we had a leg up on this because, mm. because uh, at that time in the civil rights era we, we were we were making strides in the eastern section of the country that other parts of the country were not.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we had, there was an attraction to the Salvation Army by African Americans to a degree that others had not experienced. So we were kind of ahead of the game, right, you know, right. yet we had, to, we had to fight through some things. When I was coming up, um, it, it wouldn't have been possible for me as an individual officer or for Eva and I, particularly as an integrated interracial couple,
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to serve in the South. See, mm. So, I, first of all, we need to frame it in that context right. to, to get an appreciation for where we are today. Now, today, um, there's, the struggle continues. I mean, there's just so much that, that goes into this thing. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm pleased on the one hand to say that I, I know some African-American officers uh, in the South who are magnificent leaders yes. in, in every stretch of the imagination. Um, now, some things have to open up. There has to be a commitment to their continued development. Right. Um, as it is for all officers, there, there needs to be uh, an intentional end desired for, for officers and where they can make the difference. Uh, so some strategic uh, planning has to be done. And again, I want to say it's for all officers, but yes. particularly for officers of color. Right. Uh, and, 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 and there has to be some risks taken, as I inferred earlier, yes. to, to, to place people in and take some risks. Now, one of the things, interestingly, Andy, when I was coming up, when we were coming up together, the first three appointments to, to staff responsibilities, headquarters responsibilities... The first thing that I presented to my leaders when we got our appointments was, why are you doing this? Hmm. The first question, three times, why are you doing this? And I answered my own question in a way by saying, if you're doing it because I'm black, I'm not interested in that, that appointment. Interesting. Wow. I'm not interested. I said it three times in three the first three staff appointments. Hmm don't place us there if you're doing this because I'm not interested in being uh, showcased. I'm not interested in being in a window and being your poster child. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, I was assured that, no, uh, they believe I had, that we together and I had something that they needed, you know, uh, something to offer. So after the fourth and fifth one, I I stopped asking the question, (laughs) you know, Well, it was
1: it was evident that I mean, and I think that your own ministry and the fruit would have been evident that that would have uh, maybe even to your your own your own soul you'd have a sense that yeah this is this is right for me to be here and maybe even your own interaction with them would have known that it wasn't some um, affirmative action quota system that was making that happen that it was it was people knowing Izzy and Eva and knowing that they were the right people for these appointments
2: yeah and and I you know again. What do we do now? What, what must we do? Well, um, it's very complicated. It's, it's not an easy answer, but we need to, first of all, identify. Um, identify people by early on seeing uh, traits and, and giftedness. Yes. And, and levels of commitment. Uh, we, need to, we need to see that early on and, and, and then deliberately, intentionally um, develop. Uh, and have a strategic um, placement plan.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Now that's hard to do, given the nature of organization. Yes, but it can be done. May, may I divert just a minute, please? Uh, yeah, to, to Southern Africa when we were there. Yeah, uh, we we faced much the same. Hmm. Although it was, rough, um, we faced much the same challenge, and God spoke very keenly and strongly to to me about this. And I had colleagues fortunately, who were the right people in the right place to be with us, um, who shared that, both black and white South Africans, Mm -hmm. we felt the need to begin to identify that. When we arrived, there had only been one South African, white South African, who had the privilege of getting out of South Africa. Now, they were banned from movement globally because of apartheid, and it had just broken just several years prior to our arrival. So here we had... The majority of our salvationist population and officer population, right. the majority are black, right. but but when, as a territorial leaders, when even and I sat in board meetings and I chair a board meeting, I'm sitting around only seeing white South Africans. Wow, yeah. Now something's wrong with this picture, right. So what we were able to do with the help of funding from the Eastern Territory, was to really launch a sophisticated, deep identification and training and development uh, program for officers. Right. We had to be very careful because we just didn't want it to appear as it was only for black officers, but but for all officers. Mm-hmm. And so we um, we were able to launch that, and in our four years, uh, begin to really get into that. And I'm, I'm I thank God that I can now look back, and uh, there are several Black Salvation Army, Black African officers, Hmm. who are in key uh, territorial and international appointments who came through that program, who were there when we had the privilege of serving, and we saw them, were able to identify them, saw them, and my colleagues uh, and I, and engaged them in this learning and development training process, and they're now serving in, in I mean in absolutely key appointments and several others, then, who were able to go internationally. Um, the, the point is I'm not not I'm not patting myself on the back. No, no, I don't hear that. Is God doing this? Uh, my, my point is that there has to be we can do this. Early identification. Yes. Early uh, interventions and um, uh, significant intentional training yes. and development and then looking out um, where we want to see, how we want to see movement uh, of, of our leaders within the organization. It is possible to
4: do.
1: It's uh, ensuring that, just correct me if I say something wrong, um, it's ensuring that that opportunity is truly available for every person. And I love how you're able to now look back at Southern Africa and, and you have the uh, the advantage of time, and and you can look and see how the long what the long game has produced. But of course, in the moment in South Africa, that was uh, an immediate hard hard decision that you you'd have debate discussion, and you had to make that call. But the fruit yeah. that has come from that it's amazing to think about um, how That's God right. led you in that moment.
2: That's right, and I and I don't want to. Um... Uh, underplay the risks associated with it. <clears throat> um, mm. um, I mean, you know, we we, we really had to, because we had we had uh, black South African officers who had the innate ability and skill, but didn't have the training nor the development applied mm. to, to the to, to bring that out. Um, be, be, you know, they were disadvantaged right. in in their coming up. So there there were some there was some risk. We we would see uh, here are some traits now what can we exploit for God and the mission, the kingdom here? How mm-hmm. can we help to get, to release these beautiful gifts and the strength of leadership? How can we release that? And and uh, also taking our place alongside them. Um, we came into a an environment where if you were believed, no matter whether it was civil society or no matter what, um, Sector women of the population of the society, what strategy you were in, if you were believed and you were the leader, people would do anything that, that you wanted hmm. I mean it was just that kind of society, and uh, so sitting in board meetings, I would say, you know perhaps we ought to do this. What do you think? Oh whatever you want, commissioner
1: oh interesting
2: um, and I'd say, no, 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 this is not what I want right this that's what's God calling us. As a body to do so, we we had to face that um, people who, though they were in the majority, they were not in control, mm. um, and they were they had come up in a time in an era when they were just forced to the back. I mean, brutally, physically, mm. spiritually, intellectually, they they were beaten down. Yes, uh, some of that still lingered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we had a, there was a wonderful, I think she's now retired, single woman officer. Uh, tremendous poise, but strength of character, love for the Lord and the Army. <clears throat> she was in a, um, an appointment uh, running a very large school home uh, for children. Uh, and I'll never forget, in an officer's council, the Lord broke through. Wow. And uh, Major Jawili made her way to the altar. Wow. Eva slipped up beside her mm. and said, uh, Tell me, Lena, how are you doing? Mm. Now, this is a black African woman at that point in her 50s. Yeah. Talking to her white leader. And she said, I hate them. Hmm. I hate them. Wow. And Eva said, what do you mean? She says, I hate these white officers
3: hmm.
2: for what they've done to me. Oh, uh, what a moment that was.
4: And
2: hmm. God broke through. and um... Now, this woman was was highly respected, hmm. highly regarded, but, it, but she was bringing, she had not yet shaken her past, what had happened to her the healing had not been complete there were scabs sores mm-hmm. were oozing and uh, god did a marvelous work in major jewelly's life that morning hmm. office councils amazing and she went on to serve more freely more liberally among her white brothers and sisters that that was a marked moment for us yes mm.
1: I love how you bring that in because the one of the things that can be missing from some of our discussions that end up you know focusing on the sociological realities that are present and the way to combat them is the, you know we can get into discussions about um, you know critical theory intersectionality all these things yeah. systemic issues I'm not knocking any of that but the Christian perspective what we what we're, what the Christian message brings is what you just described, is forgiveness. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Like this, yeah. this, is a, this is a part of the, of the cure. And now this doesn't mean that we ignore sin where it has clearly happened, Yeah. but we still need, we're all in need of forgiveness.
2: But also, you see, we have to be willing to step into the story mm. of others. I mean, and make, to the degree that we make ourselves vulnerable.
3: Mm-hmm, hmm
2: You know, it's very, very interesting. Eva became vulnerable on her knees with the Major. Yes. At, at the altar. However, <clears throat> Major Jewelty saw Eva differently. Hmm. Because Eva was not a white South African. Eva was a white American coming in, you know. Right, right. So, so uh, and yet... Eva shared some of that pain that Lena was going through. Hmm. See? Um, so so there's a vulnerability. Uh, there, there's an exposure of our own thinking, of our own thoughts, of our own heart, when we're willing to step into the story and learn just a little bit more about what people have been through, what they're carrying. Remember, we don't leave who we are right. when we out of the world into the into the training college and accept and, and our you know sign our covenant to be officers we are still who we are but God has to do a marvelous work in us yes um, so we step into their story and help them toward that healing um, so we got to be willing to do that yes. with the individuals that we're that we're seeing it's not you know it's um, it's really very heartrending and and uh, loving loving really in the way that That Jesus has called us to love and to feel as He called us to feel. Yes, He's our model.
1: I mean, I've had that challenge here recently. Even uh, over the past several years, has there been nationally recognized um, tragedies, sins, killings, and um, and what I've would even just recently? I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but we're still like within a week of the Ahmed Arbery. Um, killing and and not, not, but four hours from where I am right now. And I think what what I'm trying to do, but I mean, I still need to listen better. I mean, this in general, but to recognize that, that what we bring to who we are changes our situation. And um, I have two boys who are 13 and 11. um, And I would, if, if they were, African-American, I would be having to have different conversations with them about yeah. if how they play in a neighborhood where they might be a minority. Um, and yeah. that's a different. And I have to, like you're saying, try to get into the story to he- hear the pain. And, and, and I'm serving a very multi-racial core um, and to recognize how this there's, there's boys the same age as my boys and there are different conversations and I need to try to empathize so... I can serve, I, I hope. But I, I know that like, I... I almost sound like I shouldn't be saying this because I, I, I feel like I'm saying I've figured something out and, I, and I, I feel like I still have so much to hear and learn. So, I, I'm, mm. so ha, ha, with these type of situations that are, in a sense, like they're, they're a social concern for our society in the United States, I mean, what you, how should the Army, should the Army respond um, in these type of situations? Like with the Ahmed Arbery situation?
2: I I think I do believe that there is a um, that there is a a position of service of love. There's the, there's a word that we can speak. There's a presence that we can bring in, into these uh, kinds of situations. Into this one,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, I do believe that the the tightrope that we're walking in a windstorm is that these things become so politicized right right and um we we have to be certain and i believe we we, we're called to do this is to be apolitical um and and to bring in yet uh, um, truth right speak speak truthfully speak for justice right And, and i think that this is you know as i've read in and viewed the reports on this as recently as early this morning, new information still comes out. But we have to stand for truth and and justice. I I believe that if Jesus were present, walking today as our Lord, Yes. he would call for that. Yes. I believe that. He would call for that. Truth. Justice. Now, how we do that um, is the... um, that, that's where the the difficulty comes. The challenge is. <clears throat> Let me suggest a couple of things. Oh, I love to hear that, Yes. That, you know, if we, I think we need to speak unafraid, right? Um, and speak with our organizational integrity. Hmm. The Salvation Army is listened to across this country. We can we we can prove that we know what we're talking about because of who we are as a a myriad people right. who populate Salvation Army. So we can talk about truth and righteousness and justice and respect and value and honor. We we can do that because that's who we are. We can prove that. So you know, I think that you know, I I could envision um, the, the Salvation Army speaking through some means
3: mm-hmm.
2: with uh, with our varied. Uh, racial representation right you know on the performance and and speaking into this as a people now what do we speak to the we, we obviously speak we can speak to the rightness and the wrongness and the call for justice but we can talk about look here's who we are yes. and we're prepared um to come alongside this family right um ahmed's family and 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 um we're prepared to speak hope we're, we're prepared to do that. Um, here's what the Bible says about justice and how justice ought to be applied. Here's how uh, authorities ought to be looking at this from a biblical perspective. Yes. Um, what would Jesus, how would he judge this situation? And we can talk about that, you see, because we have that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also can... Uh, it, it employ responses that uh that that speak strongly about the higher and the better way to live mm-hmm. as um together what we don't want to do is take actions that will that will be that will prove to be worse than the problem right um and and so that's why it's, it's kind of a being on a high wire in a, in a
1: windstorm what would be some of those, what would be some of those actions that would be worst in the problem?
2: Well, for example, I think if, um, if we were to participate, if we had salvations participating in a, a strike, uh, well, not a strike, but a protest right. of some sort, that could have the potential of becoming violent. I'm not so sure that our message um, or the rightness of it, the beauty of it, could be heard clearly, mm-hmm. because we would divide, separate people. On the other hand, um, where there is a um, a memorial service, right, a gathering to to pray, or we might instigate that. We might say let's, we might call for that from a community because we have, we we're we have the veracity, we have the validity, we can do that. We yes. can say look, let's have this community come together. Let's bring um, the Arbery family. Yes, uh, together. We're gonna we're gonna pray let, let's let's do this and then let's let's talk about it. Let's speak about it. We can do that kind of thing, see. And I mean in a meaningful way, not 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 and I'm not saying this is not, this is invalid, but not just only saying this kind of thing has to stop, blah blah blah. blah but we can talk about the why of it. Yes. See. Why, why does does it really happen? Is it is this true? Yes, it it is true. Yes. Um, so I think those are a couple of examples of things this. that we can we can do um you know and and i'm
1: let let me interrupt you for a second and i i hesitate to do that then people are probably like andy stop talking every time you talk you're getting in the way of so i just uh, i i um I, i think this is so powerful in this moment because you know i asked you to do this interview before this hit before the new uh, and yeah. before I saw the news, maybe obviously un, the very unfortunate piece of justice, and we just pray that the you know the the those who are investigating this from the federal and state level are kind of realizing why it took so long for there to be a yeah. response and those i mean that's a whole piece of another layer of injustice, but hopefully the rule of law will enable this all to be exposed um right. it's so, But I didn't know that I would be—I thought I was just going to talk to you about your history and some of the other things that you know, mm-hmm. God's led you to do. But I just am so thankful for this moment, and I look forward to sharing it, even if it's just the people in the congregation where Abby and I serve, to be able to share this, this these ideas. I, there's this interesting piece, too, that I want to go back to. Like when you said the things to do and not to do, I love this image of like—and and everybody can do that. In their local community when something maybe not to this national news level arises i remember one time you said at a commissioning event to a group of new officers the thing they should do first is take a walk not to send an email right like get outside and go see and 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 there's a way we could respond as in uniform publicly to these situations Uh, let me uh, go ahead i'll let you respond to that I i have one one more piece on the racial item i'd like to cover too
2: well, no, I, I, I think it's right. See, again, you know, we're in the community, and we're serving, but we've got more power than I—our voice and our presence has much more power than I sometimes think we realize. Hmm. And I think that there may be times and situations where we are reluctant to use the authority that, that God has given us, that God has granted us the authority of our presence and the authority of our voice. Um, wow. And it may be because, and rightly so, I understand this, because of everything becomes so politicized. Right. Everything. Right. And it's so hard to stand that middle ground without falling into the political uh, traps mm-hmm. that are there. But nonetheless, if we speak to these things from a biblical perspective as as followers of Jesus. Yes. What is Jesus calling us to do? It, Jesus is calling us <clears throat> to give food, <clears throat> to bring material sustenance, but he's also calling us to step into the lives of people like this family that's devastated and hurting. Right, right. He's calling us to do that, see, as well. Calling us to walk through communities where there is injustice, where there is uh, this hatred below, where where you can't, you don't, might not feel comfortable in in walking through the community, but he's calling us to walk in those places, right? Just as Jesus would do, yes, and to walk boldly, wearing our uniform, you know, hand in hand with those who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, you yes. know. Um, and and demonstrating by our presence and our voices and our movements that um, it is possible, it really is possible to live and to make this a just society. Yes, amen. And um, I might also say one other thing. <clears throat> we cannot be afraid when we speak to call out evil, mm-hmm. to call out sin, to yes. call out wrong, to call out injustice. Now, we do that. We, we, re- we really do do that. We do these things around the world, and quite frankly, in some places in the world, we're doing it with great effectiveness, perhaps mm. even much so than we're doing it in America. Mm. But to speak into the world and exposing and calling out, biblically, from a biblical foundation, not from what we feel as individuals, you know, not because we feel assaulted in our own soul, though we do. But that's not—that doesn't drive it. Right. What drives uh, is a larger, is really a larger purpose. <clears throat> See, I—I've I, I, been through this. I've, uh, as a youngster, yeah. but, also, but also as a Salvation Army, an adult.
3: Hmm.
2: Uh, you know, I, I know what it means to be uh, targeted because I, because I'm black. Yeah. I remember um, it's been several years ago. <clears throat> we were in Florida mm-hmm. for a big family vacation. All of our kids and grandkids had gathered, and Eva and I arrived at the location we were staying ahead of time, yeah. about four or five hours ahead of the rest of them. And so I <clears throat> it was my charge to go out to the grocery store <laughs> and get um, and get groceries.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, obviously, I'm dressed down, you know, and look like any other tourist and. And I walk into the grocery store and get my groceries and pile up the the cart and pay for them and I'm on my way out. As I'm on my way out, one of the uh, staff persons from the grocery store calls me aside,
3: hmm.
2: pulls me out of a. There're probably ten or twelve folks right beside me, mm-hmm. white people, and he calls me out, hmm. wants to see my receipt, no, wow. to prove that I did the groceries. So I said, no, here's 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 my receipt. I paid for these. I'm an honorable man, but I want to see the manager of the store Hmm. and I want to see that person now. Wow. So that began uh, a chain of events that had the second uh, person, uh, forget what the title was, of that uh, chain of grocery stores along with their attorney call me, separate calls. The only reason why the um, president of the company did not call was explain to me that they were in a uh, shareholder's meeting. Hmm. Um, but I used my voice as a person um, to speak and to, and to call out that injustice. Wow. Because I felt very strongly, I knew that, I would, and they agreed. Wow. Their top people agreed. Now, as a result of that, their policy changed, hmm. and I was assured um, that that was going to happen, and still still pray it's in, it's in play. The point is, we have voices. Yes. You know, we, we can speak, and we can speak from truth, we can speak from relevance, But but even if we don't, we can we can speak from a biblical, passionate love that calls for truth and justice and fairness. Amen. Uh, In other words, Andy Miller doesn't have my experience as a black man. Right. But you can still you still have responsibility to speak from what you know to be right. Right. See, and um, so you you know it, it it calls for that. I think from us individually as followers of jesus yes as well as organizationally with a powerful voice
1: yeah uh thank you so much for being willing to share that story and also the uh, apply it to this very situation for us speaking out i'm interested how you said like you know probably not something the Salvation Army should be a part of, protest. And there might be some people who are listening now like, oh, man, I really wish you would. And th- let me just back up a little bit in your history to your time in New York. And um, that, that would be a little bit of the difference probably to the way, like your very reasoned biblical response to black liberation theology in um, James Cone, like there, that, would be a difference. Like th- he would say, "No, like we need to stand up for this. We need to fight um, in a, in a public protesting sort of way." Could you just distinguish a little bit, like how how you've kind of wrestled through um, that side of the Christian witness?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that there's a way in which we can speak uh, firmly, deeply, uh, without without violence.
3: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that somewhere between Cohn and Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Yes. Um, I don't believe that I need to stand in a protest. In fact, I don't think that my individual voice and presence is felt and heard as effectively as if I'm standing in front of somebody in an office, at a board table, behind a desk, facing that individual. Or individuals, so I believe that the power of of uh, influence and change does not necessarily have to be in the form of protests that mm-hmm. can become violent. And interestingly enough, if you if you examine um, uh, the progress of the civil rights movement, you will note that you know beginning in the '60s and and we saw the impact and served in the impact of violent protests. Yeah, I mean. I watched from our front door on top of a hill of of our quarters at that time, uh, flames erupting all over the Pittsburgh Homewood section. And, um, you know, so I know what that means. Now, today, you may have marches, but you don't have generally that kind of uh, protest. Now, we've seen evidences of that, you know, uh, in our time within the last year even. But that's not the general approach. Right, right. A, it's a more it's a more reasoned um approach and uh you know i, I respect dr cohn and uh, the theology of the era um, but he he was he was a forceful forthright um libertarian you know and and um really really felt strongly about um, about this subject. I feel strongly about it as well but i don't i don't i don't think we change things. By engaging in strong protest that could lead to violence. Because what it does, it shuts off people. Mm, mm-hmm. How are you going to get people to change if you turn them off? Wow, yeah. How do you get them to listen if they close their eyes and ears to your voice that's mm. um, coming? And why do we need to reduce ourselves to the kind of unjust behavior that's been thwarted on us? Right, interesting. Just... See, that just that just doesn't make sense to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, if I want to disarm you, I'm going to disarm you with reason. Right. Uh, I'm going to disarm you that way. I'm not going to disarm you if I, if I pick up the same battle tools mm. that you throw at me, that you pick up against me. I'm not going to disarm you. Mm-hmm. Not, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I believe, and I've seen, that the disarming factor comes... Uh, when I throw something up against you that you're not really expecting, hmm. See? I disarm you that way. And yes. so I, my own personal philosophy is that for me, others may feel differently, but for me, that's what I believe uh, is my best way of making my voice heard by my presence and voice. But I also believe that's the way organizationally. Yes. And I think that's the way also we, uh, personally speaking, we retain and perhaps even go deeper in terms of our integrity um, in America as we serve. So um, I think there's more that we can do, ought to do. Yeah. But I think, I think we also uh, need to be very, very careful how we do it. Um, right. How we do it, but we got to make sure we're doing something because,
1: because we're losing the power and the strength of our voice and our presence. Right. When we say nothing, we have to do something. I uh, th- th- I think what is interesting is what you're saying could also just be applied to general organizational leadership in general, like, and how, like, my, you know, okay, let's just say my particular sh- situation at this very moment, trying to come back from COVID-19, we're probably going to have uh, two services. Well, uh, there's a contingent in the congregation that says we should have a contemporary service and a um, traditional service. And um and it's actually the traditional side that's pushing the hardest and i at the same time when i was like i that's not what we would hope we want to have like a we hope for a different result not to separate things out yeah. but i have to yeah. be able to figure out like i can't just come in and bash them over the head and say aren't you nuts for thinking that don't why do you want to separate from all the, the, the younger people i mean that that's going to get me nowhere and say like how do i come in to really listen and then influence change is the only way that we're going to get to a positive result.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, you know, leading, particularly in the, the, the turbulent times in which we're living, is such a challenge, it, mm. and it, it, it really does take grace. The grace of our Lord anointed on us, um, serving under that grace, being able to listen being recipients of the wise counsel of the Holy Spirit, and, and and I know it's for you as it is for many many others, and it certainly has been for me. I've been in when I've been in those kinds of situations, I've just really in the midst of the conversation, I'm saying, "Lord, the Holy Spirit, speak to me now. Tell me what I'm to say next." Yes. You know, uh, it it you, you want to be dis, you want to be wise, but you also because. Um, you're a leader. You're the leader. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be firm in what you believe is truth and right. Mm. See, um, But to have that ability, um, the anointing, uh, really, of God, to, to show you how then to bring the divergent voices um, and beliefs together.
4: See? Yes.
2: And by the way, <clears throat> yeah. if I may, um, yes. I don't want to throw you off, but I think that that's also... Relates to the broader uh, scope of the mission of the Salvation Army. Okay. You know what? I think we. I, if I may just make a comment oh, about well, that. Oh, please, yes. You know, we know what <clears throat> we know what our mission is. You know, it's been articulated. It's 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 in our buildings. It's on signboards. <laughs> you know, yes, it's In yes. our publications. See, but what's the end? What's the end? What's the end result? What's the what, what? What? What is it? Why are we doing this good work, which is in essence our mission? It, it, it is because there is a kingdom intentional purpose. This is about the kingdom of yes, our Lord. Amen. And and these things that we do, these engagements that we undertake, their paths. To the coming reign of christ amen see see this is this is kingdom intentional so if we have a mission mindset it's got to be tied to and remembered uh when we're doing our work that this is for a kingdom purpose
4: see mm-hmm.
2: and i think sometimes we may <clears throat> get so caught up yes <laughs> Preach. you know in our missional work yes in the doing and and doing it very good and very well that that becomes the end all we, you know but but i i i really have tried to remember that the greater purpose that's driving this good mission work is the kingdom of god amen you know and and I've tried to apply that in my own thinking and my own leading um, to look beyond that we can get we can get really caught up in minutiae well, we can get caught up in these bigger issues that, that are right. confronting society, and we wonder how, what should we do, what should we say? Well, let's do and say, uh, linked to uh, this mission-minded set, that it's all about the kingdom of our Lord. Yes. It's not about just today, it's about tomorrow. It's about the preferred future. Yes. And I think that... Keeping that in mind influences how how I lead, you know, and and, uh, what I say. Does it make you? Oh, absolutely.
1: I love it. And I I think that. It, it, ultimately then it becomes so much bigger as much as we, you and I both love the Salvation Army, have been entrenched in it, and, and in a sense given our lives to God through it. Um, at the same time, it's so much bigger than just the army. It's a kingdom purpose. It's about the restoration of all things and the wiping right. away of, of every tear from every eye and the lion lying down with the lamb, this big picture right. of where all creation is going. So that's so much right. better, better than just the... Um, you know as important as organizations are, just the organizational minutia as you said
2: yeah um, yeah and, and 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 isn't it possible to you know to lead that way? can't you lead that way you're the interviewer I'm the interviewer so. <laughs> I'll take it yeah, i uh, want to i'll keep going yeah but but you know it, it is possible it take it's hard work, it's challenging um it really is. But, but it's, that's, that's the way we've got to see what we're doing and, and the reason, the purpose of, you know, of our doing that, you know, that there's a, there's a, it's, uh, someone was saying uh, in a conversation, uh, um, this is about building a better world. Hmm. All right, that's fine. I think this is about transforming play, people and places. The kingdom reign is about transformation. Right. It's more than better. Right. It's even better. Yeah. This is transforming work. And it it happens in people Mm -hmm. and it happens in places. By the way, my my view of the power of the church and in specifically the salvation army and why I'm so big and high on the salvation army in the world and what we've been called to do and to be, be and do is because of the south african experience i came out of that experience Hmm. with believing some things about the power of the salvation army that i never believed was possible before we went because of what i saw because of what i saw happening in communities and, and in homes yes and in individual lives
1: um and it's, and, and its influence in society, doing the exact things that you talked about how we could respond here by speaking unafraid, afraid, uh, by speaking truth, and speaking... Right. And like, I, I love those three points that you made. This... Uh, I just want to highlight, like, you, you also served... You know, I want to go through just your points. I don't have time to ask the other questions I sent you. Or you don't... I, I appreciate every minute you've given me. Um, but you, after there, you went to the United States Eastern Territory for just a short time before... You um, were called upon by General John Larson to serve as the International Chief of Staff and then came back um, to the United States to serve as a national commander here. As I'm hearing you talk about South Africa, I this is my little plea. and I think I'll, there'll be many people saying amen to it. While I, I would love it if you could... Write these, like write your experience down of what happened in South Africa. It's so that it'll be available. And I know you have a very gifted daughter who's a great communicator. I was at Asbury Seminary while she was director of communications there. Maybe she could help you get. We, I mean, I would just love it to have. I know people will be able to YouTube you and maybe see videos of you throughout generations. And but uh, you've been an amazing gift. To the world in the Salvation Army, you and Eva both, um, by God's grace, as you started this whole piece out. I mean, this whole interview out. I mean, it wasn't about you, but there's a, a certain way that you communicate that I think, um, you know. Let's. I, I pray you're living for another thirty years. You know, like let's just forty years. I mean, but but I would I would hate for my kids not to be able to have that experience. So, could you could you work on writing a book for us, please, Commissioner <laughs> Gaither? Uh, I. You
2: know, I've I've uh, humbly uh, been asked uh, on several occasions if I could do that, but i have just—that's just not my area of giftedness. And you know, um, some of it—I mean, there's sparks of it in in the biography, yes, in my biography, um,
1: but. Uh, I, I can't promise that. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make a commitment here, but just hear it as a holy encouragement. Like I, uh, <laughs> e- even if you just took your your messages through the years, and and if somebody took those down for you, I think that that would be a gift. Mm. To the world, and so if you can allow me to uh, exhort you in that way, uh, <laughs> I received the
2: exhortation.
1: There you go. I, it, it's a compliment, and it's a way that you know God's used you in my life. I remember the first time hearing you preach was when I came to. Uh, you, I think Mark was a student at Asbury when I was a visiting, and I heard you there, and you know, dozens of times now, and um, and and also just the way here, I you know, I, I was. I was my first appointment came. while you're national commander, but I just appreciate the personal way that you've connected with me, and um, even in this call, it's a real gift to me, and I, I thank you for it. I think others will benefit from it as well.
2: Well, I'm I'm the receiver of a of a special gift. Uh, you are a gift, um, and this is not you know just trying to return your very kind and humbling words, but. Uh, I don't say what I do not believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and Abby are a gift to this movement. The Lord has uh, worked in your lives and uh, placed you just where he needs you. You have a strong voice and presence. thank God for you and all that you are continually recommitting to him. And I want you to find, I pray, new covenants mm. with, with, uh, with our Lord Yes, take you further. We need your voice. Thank you. Abby's voice. And you have a responsibility, you know, Andy. Mm. Mom, you come from a rich heritage, a rich one. Mm. Yes. Your dad and mom and, well, you know what your grandfather and grandfather yeah. mean to Izzy. Yes, um, he he was remarkable. Your mother, as well, strong, mm-hmm. strong component to this mission. That, uh, your dad has a special place in my life. Mm. Um. Yeah, well, I served close uh, close for just a short while under your father's leadership.
1: Grandfather, that one, but that's okay. And I,
2: I, or your grandfather, yeah. yeah, your grandfather, and um. Just um the marvelous way in which even at a distance he, he he impacted my life. So you've got a rich heritage there as well. Thanks for saying that. As many that. others Yeah. You know, and I think it's important that we remember where we've come from. Amen. You know. Um well, and he loved I, you.
1: My grandpa loved you. And that was very uh, yeah. clear. I mean, I, you know, and he didn't talk about everybody, but he was, you in he, in, in a sense, like you, you, you took the same appointment he had, but also served on the Asbury board like he did. And there's many ways that you did, you, you know, and, and I know he, your time in the Eastern Territory together too. There's a lot that uh, ways your paths converge, but it was often something he had a lot of pride in you and the way God was using you and Eva. Uh,
2: God is good. He yes. Places. Just, and you know this, you and Abby know this, uh, as we do very, very strongly. He, he places us, when we're in full surrender and commitment to him, he places us in the right place. Yes. The right places at just the right times um, as we serve him. And and uh, we, we're the benefactor. we It's all about grace. Yes. Just, I mean, it's just about grace. Thank God for that.
1: His yes. grace. Amen. It's his work, our response. Yep. Well, Commissioner, thank you so much for joining me. I know I, I think I told, asked you for a half an hour, and I took an hour and a half. But I, I thank well, you for I, every moment.
2: It's gone by very quickly. It's been, it's been a privilege and a joy. Thank you so much, Andy. Yeah. Bless you. Keep strong, well, safe, and our love to Abby and the
1: children. Yes, and to Commissioner Eva. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Well, I just want to take a moment just to— Highlight and just recognize how special that hour and a half was to me personally, and I hope it was meaningful to you as well. I didn't anticipate that towards the end of that interview that we would have this pastoral moment. It was almost like I was at the altar, and uh, Commissioner Gaither had his arm around me, and he exhorted me and Abby. And I decided to go ahead and leave that in the interview, just so you can know that that's truly what's at the heart of Commissioner Gaither's ministry. And uh, I've I've experienced that before. But to be able to share that here, I hope, can be an example for all of us to try and take the careful approach to our words, but yet prophetic and biblically rooted, um, pastorally significant moments Just how he started the interview, the careful way he answered the questions. I think it's also important, too, to recognize the the very specific way he spoke into these uh, complicated issues, particularly as it relates to racism. Um, his own interracial marriage and the way he addressed that—you don't—you hear grace in those words. I mean, these—this is just a powerful hour and a half that I had to spend with him. And um, I think it's also interesting too. Often you, you might have heard him saying the words truth and justice, and I felt like he was going to add the American way into that. But I mean, even just the way that he highlighted justice. Notice too that he didn't necessarily use the word social justice to that to modify that. I think that's interesting. Now. I think most of the Salvation Army officers and Salvation Army ministry would affirm many of the tenets of what was involved with social justice. I'm sure, obviously, Commissioner Gaither does as well, but yet he chose to use the word justice, which I think is a a clear word, and it's a word that's in our Articles of Faith. Um, Interesting where the word just comes that says we are justly exposed to the wrath of God, and I I just think his words are very particular and sensitive and I, I learned so much in that interview just in the way he interacted with me thank you for putting up with me and my bumbling along trying to uh, kind of respect these holy moments and the very clear um, action points he gave us um, particularly as we seek to be organizations that respond to issues of injustice and how we can come along as a as a community of service. I was I was encouraged, I was challenged and I hope that you will be challenged as well by that. And you know I I know I kind of played around with them there at the end, but um, Um, I'm I'm trying to get him to write a book. I just am so thankful for this unique man. And and I'm thankful too for this this time that I had together with him. And I hope that it will be a blessing to you. I encourage you to, not not for the sake of like building up the Tampa Salvation Army's podcast ministry, but I encourage you to share a link to this podcast because I think these holy moments of where the Holy Spirit was clearly at work could be something that could minister to other people in this time. And, And this is coming out right? You know, still where the concerns involving the killing of Ahmed Arbery are still very poignant. And so I I think that this would be something that God could use to help bring restoration and healing to our country, and particularly as it impacts those who are engaged in the mission of the Salvation Army. Thanks for checking out Captain's Corner and this special interview. I'm so glad that we have opportunity to share it with you. God bless you.
0: Next week on the podcast, we have Major Dr. Marion Platt III, the Area Commander for the Salvation Army in Memphis. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.